Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin.
But uh, the peace here, kind of like life, as we look at Abraham, the friend of God, part two, part two. There's so much written in the scripture about uh, the man Abraham. And as we're looking at champions of the faith, and champions of the faith include both the men and women uh, of the scripture. But right now we're looking at Abraham. And as we'll see in this, in this passage, Sometimes your life is, is, is moving along, and everything is very peaceful, and then, you know, a, a detour. And uh, just like in that piece of music there, you know, we would call that a, the B section, if, if you will. And then a return to what they would refer to as the A prime, <laughs> to bring it uh, to a close. And, and life, life is like that as well. And life was like that uh, for Abraham as we uh, turn in our Bibles to the 12th chapter in the book of Genesis. If you would do, uh, be so kind to as turn in your scripture to Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to begin at uh, verse 7 today. And I thought uh, that we might be able to get all the way into uh, chapter 13, but I don't think we're going to make it there. We'll probably have a part three and a part four and maybe a part five. <laughs> but uh, let me get my specs out here so I can read this fine print. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen, when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say, You are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commanded her to Pharaoh, or rather commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife, take her, and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let's pray, please. 
Our Father, we come to you and ask that you be our teacher by your Holy Spirit to understand your holy word. And Father, we pray that we will learn lessons from the life of the friend of God, Abraham, through whom, Lord, you declared that you would bless the nations of the world. And indeed, the Savior, the offspring of Abraham, has come into the world to go to a cross and to give his life a ransom for us. Lord, as we study your word today, we pray that we will allow your word to penetrate our hearts that our lives might be transformed by your spirit, and that we might bring honor and glory to you as we proclaim your truth, to the end that the Lord Jesus Christ might be made known. We thank you, Father, for your blessing, and we thank you for the wonderful privilege of knowing you and of being your children. Speak to us now, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the scripture teaches here that the Lord appeared to Abraham. So the question is, well, how did he appear? How did he appear to Abraham? Was it a physical manifestation? We're not told. But it may have, in fact, been. It may have been what is referred to as a theophany, that is, the appearing of God. God making himself known in a physical form, and speaking to Abraham. We know that as time goes on, that the Lord actually came with two angels and visited Abraham, and perhaps we'll, we'll get to those portions there and we'll, we'll look at that in the coming weeks. But God appeared to Abraham, and he spoke to him, and he made a promise to him, to your descendants I will give this land, that is the land of Canaan, and we mentioned last week that Canaan was the son of Ham, the son of Noah. So the Canaanites are actually cousins, if you will, to the Hebrews. Because we all come from, from uh, one of the sons of Noah. We mentioned that Ham went into the portion of the Middle East and then over into the African continent. And uh, Shem, the Shemites, or the Semitic peoples, into the Middle East. And then Japheth into Europe. And so those who are from Europe, uh, Western uh, and Eastern Europe, the Eastern Bloc countries, etc., are offspring are the offspring of Japheth, the son of Noah. So we're, we're all related. We really are family. We are related going all the way back, and we are also spiritual family because we are the children of God. And so God makes a promise. And we read last week that this is an everlasting promise. God gave them the land of Canaan. And he actually 
and speaking to Moses, he outlined the borders. And do you know that even to this very day, Israel has never fully occupied the whole entire land that God promised them. But the day is coming when he is going to make that right, and he's going to give all of that land to Israel. And remember that Israel was the name given to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. So Israel is really the name of the people of the Lord. And the land that he gave to them also came to be known as the land of Israel. And notice that Abraham then responds and he builds an altar. He, he worships the Lord. And they would make an altar out of, out of stone. They would, they would place these stones one, one upon another in testimony to the Lord. A physical outward expression of worship. And then, of course, they would sacrifice an animal to, to the Lord. And then the scripture says that Abraham continued on in his journey. And as he continues on, notice that he, he again builds another altar to the Lord. And he worships. And then it says, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And I put there to the, to the side, prayer. But I, I should have labeled it public prayer and proclamation. Because in the Hebrew language, it actually gives the indication that he spoke publicly in front of the people. Both in front of those within his own household and also among the heathen who lived there. Because sadly, the Canaanites, the offspring of Ham, had become quite an immoral people. And they actually lost the privilege of living in the land of Canaan. God took it away from them and gave it to Abraham and his offspring. Now you see, God owns it all. Alright? Now, what do you suppose that means in the Hebrew? Well, it means that God owns it all. <laughs> That's what it means. It means the same thing in Hebrew as it means in English. God owns it all. Everything belongs to him. And he has the sovereign right to take and to give as he determines. Make no mistake about it. God took it from the Canaanites and gave it to the Israelites. And he said this is an everlasting covenant. It is a, a contract, but more than a contract. God decided to give it to Israel, and to Israel it belongs. You've heard me say in previous sermons that 
the United States, neither the United States nor the United Nations or any other country or group or organization has the right to require Israel to give up their land. And this whole idea of a, a two-state solution. You don't read that in the scripture. God gave it to Israel, it belongs to them. But Israel, and the Jewish people, have learned something about their heart. They said, we're willing. We're willing. As a matter of fact, some of their leaders early on, they said, we would be willing for a piece of land the size of a small sink to call our own our own homeland. And we're willing to share it with whomever so long as we're willing or so long as we're able to have our own homeland. Or in other words, they were willing to give up certain portions to have even a smaller portion just to have their own homeland once again. But the Arabs said, no. Israel was, was willing. But the Arabs have said no. And they've said no and continue to say no. They refuse to acknowledge Israel's ownership of that land, which God gave, and we read it here, he gave it to Abraham and to his descendants who live there now. Make no mistake about it. The land of Israel belongs to Israel because it was given to them by God himself. It is a promise God made to Abraham. And he calls upon the name of the Lord and he worships God and he proclaims God to his household and to those heathens who were living in the land at that time. And he continues onward. Now we, we read here that he pitched in Bethel. And Bethel was on the west. And Ai was on the east. So he, he went westward and southward. It's really interesting because Ai in the east is called the heap of ruins. That's what it means. That's what Ai means. The heap of ruins. But Bethel is the house of God. Bethel, the house of God. So he, he leaves the east or the ruins to go to the house of God. Amen? Now, sad, like us, Abraham took a detour. As they were there in the land, as we read, a famine occurred. And so food was scarce. And they were dependent upon rain, water, because it was a desert land. Difficulties. Have you ever had any difficulties in your life? Ever uh, had to live from paycheck to paycheck, so to speak? Ever ever struggle? You ever have an opportunity where you thought you weren't going to be able to make it into the next day? 
you ever experience wondering my word? How am I going to make it to the end of the month? Let alone to the next week or the next day or the next year. Well, there was a famine in the land. They experienced difficulty. But notice what Abraham does. It doesn't tell us that he prayed then. And it doesn't tell us that he sought the Lord's direction. What did Abraham do? Well, he, he left Canaan. Now, Canaan was the, was the land that God had given to him and to his descendants. And he travels to Egypt. He deviated from the path. Have you ever deviated from your path? From what you know to be right? And sometimes, because of convenience, or what is expedient or easy, we take the, the easy way out. Abraham should have trusted God and remained in Canaan. But he chose to go down into Egypt. And then along the way, he does something. He puts Sarah in danger, distress. Now, and this might surprise you if you don't know all of the details, but Sarah was actually Abraham's sister. She was his half-sister. And you read that in, uh, in Genesis chapter 20, verse 12. Because that was common in that day. But, not only did Abraham put Sarah in, in danger, but he also put the promise of God in danger. Because you see, it was through Sarah and Abraham and their offspring that eventually the Messiah would come, because the Messiah is related to Abraham. You notice that? And Sarah was a beautiful woman, and you know how old she was? 65. 65. Abraham was 75. And she was 10 years younger than Abraham. And she was still a fine-looking chick at 65. <laughs> and he said, look, <laughs> you are so good-looking, gorgeous woman, that when we get to Egypt, if they know that I'm your husband, they're going to kill me, and they're going to want to take you. But see, in, in that culture of that time, if a brother had a, a beautiful sister, then those who were in positions of authority would treat the brother very well and give them all kinds of gifts in an effort to win the, the favor of taking the sister as one of their wives in their harem. But it was also common for them, if the woman was married, to kill her husband and take her by force. 
But even still, Abraham should have trusted in God. Because he shouldn't have gone down to Egypt to begin with. But notice what, what happens. God watches over Sarah and Abraham, and he strikes the Egyptians with a plague, and they come to realize something is not right here. And so Pharaoh calls Abraham into the court, and he, he's basically wagging that finger at him. How in the world would you do such a thing to us? To put us in danger. Now you take everything that's yours and leave. And it's also believed that another woman by the name of Hagar was one of those who also came into the family of Abraham. Hagar was an Egyptian slave woman. And we'll look at that in time. But notice that, that God watches over and protects Sarah and Abraham, even though Abraham is using deception and dishonesty. God's divine deliverance. Now, what do we learn here? Well, God reveals truth to his children. God reveals truth to the entire human race, and we've, we've looked at that uh, on Sunday night over at Vista Park. And we'd encourage you to be out and to participate in our evening services at 6 o'clock over at, at Vista Park. But God reveals his truth to the entire human race. I heard this, uh, this experiment that was done where these five monkeys were put into a cage. And then at the top of the cage, there was this, this little pole with a hook on it. And those conducting the experiment would then place a banana there. So then a monkey would run up the pole to get that banana, and as soon as they reached it, they would be struck with a powerful stream of water. So then that monkey would fall back down, and the rest of them would start fighting with each other. Then another monkey would try to get up the pole, and they'd shoot it with water, and it'd come down, etc., etc., etc. So then what they would do, and they had five monkeys in there, they would take one monkey out, and they would then put a new one in. And that new one would try to go up the pole to reach the banana, but as soon as the monkey went to the pole, the other four monkeys would begin to fight with that one and pull it down. And then another monkey would be replaced until all five of them were replaced. And they didn't know that if they went up the pole that they would actually be struck with water. They thought that they would just be beaten up. What does that have to do with this story here? God reveals truth. But the news media and false religions use methods 
born in hell itself, to deceive people into believing something that is not actually correct or not actually true. You see, those five monkeys that were replaced, they thought that, that they just couldn't go up the pole because they'd get beaten up. No, they couldn't get that banana because even if they got up the pole, they'd be struck with the water. But they didn't know that that was awaiting them. You follow? They were conditioned just as people are conditioned. There are people, and we've mentioned this several times, and I'll keep on mentioning, a person who sits on the Supreme Court ought to be able to tell you what a woman is. You follow? But because of what has been going on across America and around the world, people have become conditioned to accept something that is not correct. This idea that there are more than two genders. I'm here to tell you there are only two. Male and female. And God's people are to unapologetically proclaim God's truth. God reveals truth to his children. He does so, so through his holy word. And he does so through his children. Abraham proclaimed the true God. He built altars. He worshipped. He proclaimed. He prayed in public. He wanted everyone to know who his God is. And we are to follow his example and do the same. And like Abraham, we're to worship God, pray, and proclaim his truth. Sadly, across America, you're, you're, you remember the, the First Amendment? Now, there are some within Christianity, they say that, that Christians should have nothing to do with, with politics or the government. That is not correct. Yes, our main goal is to reach people with the gospel of Christ so that people are saved. But the Bible also teaches that we're supposed to have an impact upon the world in which we live. Why does he tell us to pray in the book of Timothy, second chapter, first Timothy, uh, second chapter, to pray for all leaders and, and people in all positions? And why? That God will touch their hearts so that we can live a peaceable life. That's what it says. Read it. That's what it says. And then how about in the 13th chapter in the book of Romans where it says that God establishes government for the the benefit of the human race. We are to have an impact. Jesus said if, if the salt has lost its flavor, it's, it's, no, it's, no, it's not worth anything but to be thrown out. We are supposed to be the salt of the earth. And we're supposed to be different. There's a movement in the church these days to identify with the lost, to identify with people in the world. So much so that you can't tell the difference between the Christian and the lost person. That is not what the Bible teaches. We're to love them and we're to share the gospel with them, but make no mistake about it, we are to be different than they are. We're to be Different. There's a difference between a lost person and a saved person. 
and our goal in life. God's mission, the fulfillment of God's mission is to take the gospel of God to the lost so that they might come to know his love and the power of his life in their lives. Like Abraham, we often take detours. We don't want to hear it. We make excuses for not sharing the gospel with others. Well, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Then you know enough. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you know enough. We are in a very unique position as parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. We have the wonderful, the wonderful privilege of ministering to our children and grandchildren. I learned yesterday that the the current young people, and I, you know, all these different Generation X and Z and this and that, and all these different generations. Do you know that when they receive a letter or a card in the mail, that they go just about crazy because it's like receiving a Christmas gift because it's so different than what they're accustomed to on the phone. To get a piece of mail, a card in the mail from their grandmother or from their grandfather. Yesterday I listened to, uh, his name is uh, Dr. Chuck Kelly, the uh, President Emeritus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and he, he talked about his mother. And he said his mother had a card ministry. And she would send cards to people. And if she learned anything about a certain person, or even their, their child, she would send a card. And she'd have a, you know, a, a personal little note in that card. He said when, when his mother died and went home to be with the Lord, at her funeral, all of these people showed up. And one by one, these men would come up to him in tears. He said, your your mom. When this happened in my life, she sent me a card. And when this happened to my child, and when this happened, she sent me a card. So here's a question. Do you suppose you could send a card to your grandchildren, to your grandchild, and tell them how much you love them, how much you, how much you care for them, and how much God loves them. And how wonderful a life God has planned for them. Do you suppose you could do that? Or how about to your, to your own children? You see, we have tremendous respect for Abraham. But like Abraham who took a detour, don't we often take detours? And instead of fulfilling the life that God has designed for us, we take detours and we become so involved in the world. You see, Egypt represents the world. 
Israel represents the people of God. And he delivered them out of the world. You see? Just as he delivered Abraham some 400 years before they went into Egypt and became slaves in Egypt. What happened to Abraham was like a precursor, if you will, what happened to the nation of Israel so many years after. But symbolically, they represent us, the church, God's people, who live in the world, yet we're not to be of the world. We're not to be so, so involved in so many different activities that we're no longer of any effect. We become like that salt that's lost its flavor. You see, we're to be making an impact. You say, well, how do I, how do I make that impact? Start with your children and your grandchildren. God in his grace can deliver us by his divine will. Sometimes we get ourselves into a situation that we, we put ourselves at risk and others at risk. Now, God is able to deliver, but we're not to take God's will for granted. Our Lord Jesus said we are not to tempt God. But understand this, God is able to deliver. You may have taken a detour in your life. God wants you to know he can deliver you and he can put you back on the right track. You may be going down the wrong path, but God is able to bring you back and put you on the right path. If you are willing to submit to him. God loves us all. And he loves our children. And he loves our grandchildren. Some of us in the next 20 years will be in heaven. Some perhaps in the next 10 years. Others in the next 30. Maybe some in the next 5. Who's going to win your children? Who is going to lead your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and their children to the Lord? Who's going to do it? And who's going to love them like you love them? You follow? And so we have a tremendous responsibility and a wonderful privilege. I'll close with this. We were over at a school many years ago, and one of the teachers came up with this idea. She said, you know, I'm going to ask our parents to write a letter to their children. And when we begin to take the end of year tests and exams, going to have those letters on their desks so that when they come in, the first thing they'll do is open that letter and read this letter from their parents. 
telling them how much they loved them and how they knew that they could do well on the test, etc., etc. It transformed not just that class, but the entire school. The entire school. So much so that the school became the Nevada School of the Year and did so 10 years in a row. And one year became the National Elementary School. Because this teacher had an idea. The children, we had something like 90%, 90 plus percent proficiency in the school. In reading, mathematics, you name it, was absolutely incredible. The point I'm making is the power, the power that you possess, that God has given to you as a grandparent, as a parent, to impact the lives of your children is immeasurable. I want to encourage you to pray, to bathe your children and your grandchildren in prayer that God will touch their lives and transform their lives so that they will come to know him. You see, Jesus is coming back. We're getting closer and closer and closer to the end. Your children need to know the Lord. We're going to stand and we're going to sing, I am thine, O Lord. And maybe you're here today and you need to make a decision to accept Jesus as Savior. Go ahead and stand. Or to join the church or to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Whatever the case is, you come to the Lord as we sing. We pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word. And we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.